Hey guys, what's up? It is week 317. Let's jump right into the reviews for you. And the first one up is from 1989. And this is Witch Trap, uh, directed by Kevin Tenney. Uh, Kevin Tenney did stuff like Night of the Demons, The Cellar, Witchboard. This is not a sequel to Witchboard, even though it has the same kind of villainous looking guy on the front. So essentially what this follows is um, there's this mansion that Kevin Tenney himself, uh, director kind of cameo here, uh, inherited. And it was from his uncle, who has a very shady past. And everybody that moves in here kind of dies. They're murdered or they're scared away. And in the very beginning, this guy is, is kind of scared to jump from the second floor. So he basically calls in a special team, think Poltergeist or something like that, to kind of get rid of this ghost. Um, the, the person running this team wants to kind of prove the existence of ghosts. They have a new con like kind of invention to kind of suck. Like it's basically essentially the Ghostbusters kind of thing to suck the ghost up. It's her, her husband, um, an actual like kind of medium. And then there is a group of uh, a, video a videographer played by Linnea Quigley, who's in a bunch of, a few of Kevin Tenney's movies, most notably Night of the Demons. So this group goes in here along with uh, three kind of rent-a-cops and um, one of them, which I believe is a regular. And they kind of try to figure out what's going on. Of course, there's there's going to be hauntings and somebody's going to be controlled. There's going to be kind of telekinetic kind of chaos at the same time. Also, Hal Havens is in here from Night of the Demons. He plays Stooge, Sorority Babes in a Slime bowl rama He's kind of the groundskeeper. And of course, he's still working for old Avery, the villainous uh, kind of witch kind of guy here. So people are picked off in fairly gory ways. This is the first time it's been uncut. Well, this is a reissue, basically, of the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray that's long out of print. And this is the first time it's been uncut. You know, it wasn't uncut on VHS. It was cut to ribbon. So, yeah, it's fairly gory. It has a head explosion. has somebody getting a, a hole in their throat and stuff like that. It has some squibs going off. This is a pretty entertaining kind of like so, I, I don't want to say this, like it's a very serviceable horror film. It's definitely made for the video market. It's everything you kind of expect. A little bit of nudity from Linnea Quigley. Um, some decent kills. Some okay dialogue. Some funny dialogue, actually. Some quippy dialogue. Uh, this whole movie was 80 art, apparently, because they said that this, the person doing the sound kind of didn't pick up on a hiss, and they had the ADR all of it. Some of the performances do come across a little shaky, and I'm almost 100% sure that's why um yeah so this one has like a lot of the features that the original vinegar syndrome blu-ray had it has a different slip cover of course i don't even think the other one had a slip cover but uh yeah this is the mvd rewind collection kind of reissuing it putting it back out there and it's a fun horror film kevin tenney's kind of one of those horror directors that really doesn't get a lot of the credit he should you know uh he, he directed a handful of horror films and, and a lot of them are pretty solid i've always enjoyed his work um so the special features include a 2k from uh in 20, a uh, 2K scan in 2016 from a 35 millimeter interpositive. Then we have a group commentary track with director Kevin Tenney, uh, producer Dan Dukin, cinematographer Tom Jewett, and actor Hal Havens. Interview with director Kevin Tenney, interview with actress Linnea Quigley, interview with cinematographer Tom Jewett, interview with special effects supervisor Atasso Barr, Witch Trap VHS version, 92 minutes, and photo gallery and stuff like that. So the special effects artist basically talks that the second guy, he's a really interesting guy. He says, you know, I'm not like a huge like, horror fanatic. I'm just in it for like the special effects and i like watching effects heavy 
heavy movies because I like to figure out how they did it. But also, like, the psychological stuff, there's not really much garlic. Like, enjoy those two. So, like, he talks about meeting Kevin Tenney. Everybody has nothing but great things that they say about Kevin Tenney, Linnea Quigley included. And, you know, Kevin Tenney's got a nice, interesting story about this one as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like this movie. It's very fine. It, like I said, serviceable. And I mean that as a compliment because so much crap is not serviceable anymore. This is definitely something I would rent as a kid and be completely happy with what I got. Um, this is Witch Trap from MVD Rewind. Check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. Okay, next up is going to be the game trilogy starring Yusaku Masudo, Masuda, and the first one in here. This is the most dangerous game, the killing game, the execution game. They all star the main, same actor and same main character, all directed by the same director. So they do actually, it's not a loose kind of trilogy. They do have, I guess, some character continuity in there. But the first one up is the most dangerous game from 1978, if I'm not mistaken. So the most dangerous game. This movie opens up, it's really dark. Like, and I don't mean that as an insult. It's just like shot in a kind of untypical way, a way that I don't really expect to see a lot of Japanese movies shot in this way. Um, different, unique, almost experimental. And it's a dark, and we kind of witness this assassination or this kidnapping and, and a couple of the bodyguards being executed. And the way one of the bodyguards is executed, it's basically your point of view. That you point the gun and you, and he gets shot and you hear him like kind of moaning. I was like, the way they did that was really cool because it's within a scene, you know? And it does, this movie has like these kind of longer takes at, at times too. So I was like, that scene was really impressive. So essentially what happens is this guy is uh, down on his luck right now. He he is a hitman or he, he used to be. And he seems to be kind of a loser. He's gambling. He's getting beat up. He's just embarrassing himself. And he's contacted by this big Japanese corporation. And they say, listen, we have this person that's been kidnapped and we think it's corporate kind of espionage, corporate kind of sabotage because they're all kidnapping a lot of the executives from our place and they're killing them and they're trying to make it look like it's a kidnapping kind of thing. So they believe that something's up. They want to hire him to try to rescue this guy that's been kidnapped and whatnot. So he kind of does this like uh, $20 million, I think, or 20 million yen, whatever. And he kind of goes to the mission and the mission's insane. Like it's an elaborate kind of shootout and he fails it. But they still offer him another mission. And that's kind of when he starts to get a little kind of, kind of, you know, something's rotten in Denmark. But uh, yeah, a anyways, it's a pretty interesting movie. It, it kind of incorporates all that, you know, corporations, you know, backstabbing, whatever that. But the real main star is the main character here. And of course, there is some sort of love interest in here. And all three of them kind of carry that on. And the strange kind of, you know, uh, relationships that he has with all these characters, letting them go, kind of basically doing the whole Clint Eastwood in the 70s thing, you know, basically raping women at, at, at certain point. But there's a really pretty hardcore scene in this one um, where he basically... Uh, kidnaps this girl and basically calls her or her boyfriend and like puts starts molesting her and putting it on speaker and everything so that stuff's obviously going to be a little hard for some people to take uh, obviously dated product of its time but uh the, the kind of star in the movie is really what makes it you know his look it's very unique it was very influential the way he's dressed and all that kind of aspect with the sunglasses and his demeanor and he's tall lanky and you've seen him before the same guy pops up in the beast must die from 1980 which is a really good movie if i'm not mistaken i believe that's one where the character steals the police gun and that one i remember being just a really Really insane movie about kind of a downtrodden citizen, uh, a person, not even a citizen, but an individual. And it's just like one of these dark kind of looks at society. And I, I would really like to see that be released. If, and I think it was exceptional, to be honest. And this actor definitely has a certain charm and unique quality, a screen presence, if you will. Um, as far as the special uh, features are on this one, we have... Um, a brand new audio commentary by Chris Pelagi and Mark Wallow, The Action Man, a 30-minute interview with director Turu Mukurawa, 
and uh yeah so and it also has like limited edition contents booklets and all that kind of stuff so yeah this is my first kind of experience with this and and i really did enjoy it but the problem with these is you watch all three of them and you start mixing the plots although they do have a definitive difference in all of them i think the first one has like a darker more serious look than the second one but the third one has even a darker look but not i as tar a darker style not a look if that makes any sense and the second one has the most kind of goof comedy but he's also paired up with somebody in that one as well so the first one uh the most dangerous game i don't know if, which one i like the best you know what I, I this one probably is tied i think i might like this and the third one best i'm not 100 percent sure or the second one maybe this they're all pretty equal they're all kind of equal footing here but good stuff <laughs> あの男生きて救い出してほしい。あれは素敵なゲームありがとう。あなたとまた巡り合うなと思う。あなたに打たれていた方が良かったのかもしれない。Okay, the next one up is The Killing Game. And I believe this was made one year later. These were all made back-to-back. -back. I think both... In fact, all three of them, I think, may have been... The first two were 78 and the last one was 79. But The Killing Game. So this one, it feels like it has a little bit of... Um, for a few dollars more going for it. No, necessarily, I wouldn't say that 100%. But initially, what we have here is... So he is hired to take out, um, uh, basically, the owner of this certain gang. And he kind of has this thing for one of the Yakuza women involved with the gang. He knows her. And he kind of approaches her at first. And that's how he kind of is attacked by the gang initially. But um, they, they have a history. Uh, so basically, they eventually t know who he is. They register that he's this kind of stone-cold assassin. He, he always gets the job done. And they offer him to take out the uh, kind of competitor's gang. But while he's kind of looking into it, he doesn't really agree to anything. He has kind of like a sidekick that is obsessed with him. It's always falling around kind of like a puppy dog, which adds a comical element, but also adds a different layer to the first one because <laughs> in the first film, he seems very solo and very lone wolfish. And this one, he definitely has that kind of character that's always following him. And he definitely has more of a, a kind of a heart, but this kind of lightens the overall tone of the movie at the same time. So eventually the other gang runs into him and they offer him a ridiculous amount of money to do it as well. So they actually offer, they lowball him, but he, uh, he says this much and they, they eventually come up to it. But what happens is of course, you know, there's going to be some double crossing and you never can trust these gangs, these Yakuza members. And he ends up having to take on both gangs 
Um, and true for a few dollars more, you know, that's kind of like pitting the two gangs against each other. And a little bit of that happens, but mostly the movies here, the, the big thing is these giant set piece action set pieces, like going through an entire building and it barely cuts. And he's having shootouts with all these characters, which is just amazing. Like you look and you're like, has it cut yet? No, it has not. It, it's been going on for five, 10 minutes. And it's just impressive. Now, not all the effects look great. And obviously there's some people there. They, some of them look really solid and, and the action is done well. Um, but they also do a good job of incorporating like characters before they're killed. Like you see them in the background, they might have a moment or two with this character. Uh, there's a couple that are really standout assholes. There's this kind of goofy character that is um, wearing a neck brace, and, and he kind of has this at the end moment. And, like they just kind of take the time to like bring these characters, you know, to life, which which I appreciate because like again, I don't care for too many modern action movies where they're just shooting like CGI blobs. I don't really give a shit, but, uh, so, so, um, not all action movies are like that either. Just, you know, a handful of them are of course. So like I said, this one is a lot of action, a high body count and it gets darker. The ending is darker as for goofy and lighthearted as this one actually is the very ending. Um, what this character decides to do is, is pretty dark. Um, but again, he can't really trust anyone and he obviously, you know, is not the most easygoing guy. As far as the special features are concerned on here, there's a brand new audio commentary, um, by Earl Jackson and Jasper Sharp. And then remembering Yakuza Masuda, an interview with Yotaku Oki, film critic and personal friend of the film Star. And I really like this special feature because he talks about, you know, when they initially met, he was kind of like his bar friend and they became good friends. And he realized that this guy was multi-talented. He was somebody that would be hyper-focused one minute and then kind of flip-flop back and forth to what he wanted to do. He talks about how this the lead actor was a lounge singer at one point or he had an album out. How, you know, he just was a, a incredibly hard worker, worked with a lot of the Japanese's top guys. And uh, he even goes up to his death, which was unfortunately very young at 39 or 40. They never really could confirm which in the commentaries. But his last film was Black Rain. His last big film was Black Rain, you know, by, um, geez, who, who did that one? Was it Ridley Scott? Um, I, yeah, so, so that's just kind of uh, insane that this guy was kind of like a household name in Japan. And he started, like, broadening out an, an international success. I mean, I'm certain... If he would have done, you know, lived a little longer, he probably would have even had more success internationally. I'm sure people know who he is. Like I said, he's got a very iconic look. Now, I, I do think that the first one's probably a little bit more hard-hitting, but the ending on this one, I think, is just a little bit better. And, uh, you know, I like this one. I, I think that they're all really good and really solid, and I think they are all kind of on par with each other, which is rare in a trilogy of films, that usually one's kind of crummy or one just, uh, or the first one's just so much better than the other two, but that's not necessarily the case here for me. Okay, the final one in the set is The Execution Game. This one was made in 1979. This follows our lead here as he is immediately like abducted by a group of Yakuza. He is beaten up, he's tortured, and they basically give him an ultimatum. They basically are making him pick out an assassin that's very similar to him. Take him out. Uh, this guy's supposed to be a super badass, and through that, there's kind of a love story angle. And I can't, I'm, I am mixing all these up, to be honest. I watched them all kind of very close proximity, which is a mistake. And I say, on all box sets, that's the only time I ever have trouble is if I watch like five Spaghetti Westerns or six Sartana movies in a row. And even if I've seen them before, I start to like blur the details of this one. So this one, I remember having a, a elaborate kind of crazy, crazy shootout at the very end where he goes through a giant building and it leads him up to, you know, the final boss and everything like that. And again, it's more of the same because 
it incorporates kind of the femme fatale, which all three of these movies have. All three of them have kind of a different outcome with this character. Um, you know what? This one is more darkly serious than the second one, and they mention that in the commentary big time. Uh, Tom Mez says, you know, the first two are, are their own thing, and especially the second one has the more comedy elements. But as we get to the third one, it's almost Stone Cold Serious. You said it almost as if it's from a different film. It's from a different series of films. Um, this one, I think, is probably the one that I, I'm least recalling to be honest. Um, the second one I think stood out the most for me because it had the camaraderie between the two characters and it was just a little bit goofier than the other two. Um, the wonder in this movie is highly impressive. Like I said, it's just the stuff that a lot of movies would kind of take on. You know, we we're see a lot of wonders now and people are so impressed and happy with them. And for good reason, like a lot of action wonders, and this one is is one that goes up there. It's like a fifteen minute uh, upper, like a wonder, and, and the characters going up the stairs. He's shooting characters. And it involves numerous characters and, and marks and all this kind of stuff. And I imagine how many times they shot it. But it's a really impressive set. Like I said, if you like these kind of action movies in. Typically, you get a lot of Asian action movies that are usually from Hong Kong or China, but here we have like a Japanese kind of action-oriented stuff, and early too. Like, I mean, we have early stuff like Battles Without Honor and Humanity and some Yakuza films, but this one necessarily is more like crime. It's crime-oriented in the aspect that it's not just Yakuza crime involved. I mean, there's gangsters and everything, but it feels a little bit more modern, even though like the sensibilities of the Yakuza, it doesn't really mean it's old, but those movies have a certain style and rules to them, while I feel like these ones don't. You know, these are the kind of movies where you shoot a character in the back, you do whatever it takes, you pull tricks to get the, the upper hand, very Dirty harry Dirty Harry or Clint Eastwood style And this, and obviously I can see that this probably wasn't influenced, the Dirty Harry movies and stuff like that on this, and those kind of anti-hero, you know, late uh, early 70s kind of crime films from America and, and Italy. But uh, I, I really enjoyed this set. Like I said, all three are worth checking out, um, and it has a nice booklet, it has stories about the actor, has commentaries by experts that know a lot more about it than I do, but this is a great set, the game trilogy. All right. Next up is uh, Midnight Sun, and this is from MBD Visual. And this came out like 2010, 2011, and I never did get a chance to see it. Um, I don't have too much to say about this one, to be honest, but uh, it does have some interesting points. Um, so the one thing that I took away right away when it came on is that this movie is kind of an ugly film to look at, um, or movie, I should say movie. And that's not because... Um, it's intention, although they do shoot it in a certain gritty style on purpose. They want it to have some realism to it, I can tell. Uh, at least I think so. Uh, I, I would say it's not its, in, its intention, and I don't think it's, it's really its fault. If that makes any sense. At this time, low-budget movies being shot on certain things like a digital kind of thing or, or whatever it was shot on just doesn't particularly look good. I know in the early 2000s, there was a lot of the high, kind of like 28 Days Later, Red Sun Tower. They were shot on a certain the top-of-the-line cameras at the time and or, or as good as they could get. And they were, were not cheap cameras, but they just don't look good. They just and Midnight Sun to me is just something that there's something with the look of it that doesn't really pop. But the story is is pretty satisfying. I mean, it's an unconventional vampire film in, in kind of the sense of my heart beats uh, only if you tell it to or Martin or Transfiguration, any of those kind of horror films in that line. So basically, what we have here is this character that's allergic to the sun. He works as a security guard at night. And uh, he pretty soon starts to discover he's he's kind of going through his final changes, uh, as told by him by Tracy Walter. You know Bob the Goon. He's also in Young Guns. He's in Hunter, um, the Hunter with Steve McQueen. So basically, he's a janitor, and he says, you know, we grow until we're 25. And, and this character's kind of going through something he can tell physically or emotionally. And he's like, you know, what? maybe you're turning into the final thing you are supposed to be. And that's kind of like this foreshadow, this coming of age kind of thing for him. 
And he's registered. He's kind of turning into a vampire. So he starts to crave blood. He hangs around hospitals until he finds some strange character that's willing to sell him garbage blood. He finds a relationship in this girl um, who works at a strip joint, uh, basically selling cigarettes or a bar, something like that. And they, they become friends. Um, and she notices his art, and she wants to help him sell the art in that kind of aspect. So it adds this layer. Um, it is a love story at the same time, and it has some good moments. It's made on a budget, you know, and, and they do what they can with the budget. And I think that the story goes in some pretty cool ways. You know, that idea of, like, spreading it, spreading the vampirism when you're not even intentionally doing it. And one of the characters has this giant scar on his face, and he says, you know how pissed I was when I woke up and my skin was on fire? I, I thought that was a really nice touch. The lead in here, he's got a good look about him for the film i think he's decent and the love interest she's decent um larry cedar also pops up in here from deadwood and chud 2 among a million movies so like there's a couple of solid character actors that do their work but overall i think the movie is just okay i think it's a really nice effort i don't 100 percent love it um and that's due to it's probably it's time and it's look it's just not something that appeals to me that much unfortunately but the story is good and it fits in there with a lot of these kind of weird kind of strange offbeat vampire movies as far as the special features are concerned we have audio commentary cast and crew interviews and deleted scenes so that's midnight sun okay let's get into those 1981 movies woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell because through that gateway evil will invade the world
curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago In this little town when the 14th comes round There's a silence and fear in the air Remember the morn that the legend was born All the shock and the horror was there Or oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago The first one up is a rewatch. I watched this a couple times, even before I uh, had this channel. But uh, this time I rewatched the uh, Code Red Blu-ray, and this is One Dark Night, directed by Tom McLaughlin, who would go on to do Friday Thirteenth Part Six. Now, some places list this as eighty-three, some listed as eighty-two. Internet Movie Database listed as eighty-one. I'm going with Internet Movie Database. That's probably the first time it was ever screened for anybody. So, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to do that. We kind of, I kind of just have to follow that blanket rule. But this is a PG movie from eighty-one, right? And uh, this is a slow burn. It's got Meg. It's got Adam West. It's got uh, E.G. Daly in it. So some familiar faces. Uh, basically, we open up with kind of this really crazy uh, kind of crime scene with these six dead young girls in this closet. And there's an old man, and he seems to be almost te telekinetic. It's really weird. And, and that kind of opens it up. His name is like Reg Regmar, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, Ray Raymar. And uh, so, so basically, we also have like kind of like touches of his daughter, who's been kind of estranged from him for years, and Adam West, who's her husband. And, and she's definitely feeling some weird kind of bonds, even though he's dead. All this kind of stuff. Something's just not sitting with her right. Meanwhile, Meg Tilly wants to pledge this to sorority, and of course, the leader of the sorority used to date Meg Tilly's boyfriend. She doesn't like her, so the thing is, she's got to stay the night in a mausoleum. Liam, which used to be the original name to this movie. There's also one from, called Mausoleum from 83, which is pretty fun. But uh, so, so essentially, she's going to stay at this mausoleum while they're going to break in and scare the shit out of her. So uh, that's that's kind of the intention. But what they don't know is that good old Raymar is buried here. And Raymar is very much into the occult. He's very much telekinetic and he's very much kind of a necromancer kind of deal. So essentially what happens is about an hour into the movie, we have a lot of exposition. We have a lot of creepy shots, good atmosphere, good act, good kind of building of characters. Shit hits the fan, literally. And, and not literally, but you know, shit doesn't actually hit a fan. But shit gets really crazy when Raymar Raymar kind of breaks from his grave and starts using zombies or the dead to do his bidding, piling them on top of people, all this kind of weird shit. And the special effects in this stuff is really amazing. It's really gross, and there's a lot of maggots and bugs and just rotting flesh, and I'm surprised it got a PG, but all that stuff is great. Um, it does take a while to get there, I will admit, and the first time I rewatched this movie, I was a little probably harder on it than I should have been. But for the most part, I really dig this movie. It's got a good vibe. Tom McLaughlin didn't go into the 80s horror movies, you know, thinking slasher, nudity, gore, he went in thinking kind of classic horror and it does show a bit and it even shows in this Jason film of course his is the least sleazy it's the least you know kind of gory it's more in the uh, you know he it makes Jason kind of a Frankenstein monster kind of character which I can dig as far as the special features are concerned on One Dark Night we have a new 2016 master this was also re-released by MVD if you missed out so audio commentary with director Tom McLaughlin and writer Michael Haas work print version of the film brand new audio commentary director McLaughlin and producer Mike Schroeder uh, brand new on-camera interviews with McLaughlin Schro 
Schroeder, star E.G. Daly, makeup persons Paul Clemens, director of photography Hal Trussell, Nancy McLaughlin, production designer Craig Stearns, plus original trailer. So I actually prefer this cover, I think. Maybe not. I don't know which edition I prefer. Um, and this one's that much more standout. But um, again, I do like that MVD puts a lot of these back out, which is funny because I'm watching. I'm covering the original like re- Blu-ray release of One Dark Night, but I'm covering the reissue of Witch Trap, and I've already covered both of these. But anyways, um, One Dark Night. Check it out. The next up from 1981 is Hell Night, directed by Tom Dia Simone. And Tom D. Simone, I believe he did Reform Schoolgirls. He needed some porno films. Now, this one has some DNA. It shares DNA with One Dark Knight, of course, besides the title, Hell Knight. It also stars Linda Blair, Peter Barton. Who else pops up in this bad boy? Um, one of the Van Patten brothers. You know, not the one in class of 1984, but the other one. All from the Dick Van Patten line, I believe. So... Screen Factory release. This is Hell Knight, and it had been a while since I watched this. Um, I did watch it. Um, it had been years before I watched it when I watched it for 22 shots, and then I'm rewatching it now, but I'd seen it way before that. And it's always been a pretty solid slasher movie. I've always liked it. And the plot's very similar. We have this sorority girls and, and fraternity guys that got to stay the night in this old, ancient, cursed house, right? And there's a great exposition dump here where this character is walking and telling them the entire story of the, the Garth, Manch- Garth Manor. And I love that. And it's really good stuff because if you listen closely, Mostly, it makes sense because they only found three bodies, but they're supposed to be six. <gasps> and then that kind of all ties in at the very end. I really like that and that reveal. Um, this one does have a lot of character building, too. I mean, it takes like 25, 27 minutes before somebody bites it in this one. Um, the kills are good. They're effective. The The villain in the film is also really good, really effective. Kind of like from that long list of kind of like deformed kind of creatures. There's a lot this year. Um, or deformed or inbred just before dawn. Funhouse. That's off the top of my head. But there's a lot of that kind of going on in 81 besides a slasher kind of ordeal and the twist here i love i love the little sting on there i think that's good stuff and it, it goes on for like another 10 minutes they set up linda blair being a mechanic pretty well linda blair's solid in this um it does take a little long to get started but i think it's well worth it and of course we have the you know the kids the fraternity sneaking back and wanting to play pranks on these kids when they're supposed to be staying the night sound familiar sounds just like one dark night right how it's just a trope but as far as the special features are concerned we have um Interviews and commentary with cast and crew, including Linda Blair, director Tom Simone, producer Bruce Coyne, Curtis, and more. Very cool stuff. I, I kind of dig that cover. I do enjoy the movie. It is a fun slasher from 1981, and it's not the only one, though. The next one from 1981 is The Monster of Frankenstein, and this is the kind of like TV animated Marvel version of Frankenstein made from Japan, and this is the dub version. You can watch it on YouTube. And, you know, to follow up kind of Tomb of Dracula from last year, from 1980, we have Monster of Frankenstein. Now, I'm a big Frankenstein story fan. I love Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I love all the renditions from the Universal to the Hammer to Basket Case to Frankenhooker. I'm into all these kind of weird kind of, I guess Basket Case isn't exactly a Frankenstein story, but Frankenhooker is Best Case kind of weird story. But uh, I, I love all these kind of Frankenstein-style stories. I've always been a big fan of it. I always love how they tell them. And this one is kind of a mixture between a lot of it. You know, it has some similarities from the book, but it also mixes a little Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein all in that kind of mix. So what we have here, of course, is Dr. Frankenstein creating the Frankenstein monster. And he immediately, like, the monster lights up from lightning, gets burnt, bursts into flames, and obviously it, it develops an immediate fear from that. So it, it follows a lot of the same beats that we've seen in the Frankenstein story you know except frankenstein monster is much more sympathetic and dr frankenstein i mean in the book he is a monster and this he is the true monster for sure he's an asshole and what happens is they add this like kind of a uh, different layer here so the blind man that finds the frankenstein monster is actually the father of dr frankenstein so that's pretty cool so he's also like that warning to his son like don't kind of do this kind of stuff in, in some ways you would think 
But uh, the idea that, you know, it's, it's, it's mostly a tragedy, right? Frankenstein's monster is innocent in this. He's not a violent character. He's not a brooding character. Although he is, he doesn't carry out his violence on purpose. The only time he ever uses it is to defend himself. So it's even more tragic. Um, and, and the ending is pretty dark pretty dark um but yeah I, I like the design of the frankenstein monster in here i like the relationship he has with the old man i like the relationship he has with the little girl all that stuff it kind of fits right into the book but fits more into like kind of a weird bastardization of the universal horror films kind of mixing all the ones they wanted and just picking all the ones they like from it this is pretty decent like i said it's, it's an hour and 20 minutes you could do a lot worse and it's very interesting to see how like marvel and you know japan kind of tackle the frankenstein story in this aspect from 1981 Okay, the Patreon pick is Incident at Raven's Gate, or um, The Encounter at Raven's Gate. Now, this is an Australian, I believe, sci-fi flick. I'd never seen it. I had heard about it. It's made in the late 80s, 88, if I'm not mistaken. So what we do is we follow this kind of small, isolated town, and there's kind of this farm where a character is kind of raising up these like uh plants and doing special things with them water all limited all this kind of stuff him and his wife and his new release from prison brother who's kind of a troublemaker he's got like punk rock clothes doesn't really fit with the aesthetic of this town there's lots of drunken guys that don't like him um he kind of has a thing for the the bartender but he also kind of has a thing for his uh, his uh, sister-in-law so basically what happens is Strange things start to occur. The structure of the story is bizarre. So we open up and we have a cop kind of going in the outskirts of this burned down town or this this house. And he is approached by what appears to be some sort of federal agent or, or agent that has power and everything like that. And it's really tense at first. But then he kind of figures you're the only one that can help me. And we kind of have these two linear stories going on and we kind of get flashbacks to what happened and kind of the, all the tragedy and stuff within this. So essentially it starts off kind of typical you know car the bad uh, radios and tapes aren't working correctly they completely switch magnetic stuff like that all sorts of bizarre things water's being used up when it shouldn't be and it's putting a lot of tension on the entire town and, and amongst a lot of each other so eventually shit hits the fan when our lead here along with the uh, uh the cop who has his eyes set on the bartender although she loves you know our lead here kind of kind of witnesses this kind of uh this house the house that has been kind of bombarded by whatever power and there is the the couple that's in the house and they have appeared to be kind of like radioactive together burnt together it's really kind of a disturbing scene and one of the characters actually has a nightmare kind of hallucination about it later which i think was effective but seeing them it was just crazy it was an effect that was just far superior than the rest of the movie could afford but uh you know this movie's all right it's interesting it's got some creepy elements you got to like what they do with the kind of alien house and i don't think i've ever seen too many alien australian movies i know undead has an alien aspect about it and i think um Evil Aliens has the kind of alien kind of aspect about it. But is is that one UK? I think Evil Aliens by Jake West is a UK film. But uh, we do have the previous mentioned one. And hell, some people think Picnic at Hanging Rock is alien involved as well from Australia. But uh, yeah, this movie I think is decent. It's worth watching. It has some really good imagery, especially when it comes to the house. But uh, the characters are not exactly the most interesting or likable to follow, although that there is some decent times, and I do think the incident at a Raven's Gate is, a, is, is solid. It's worth a check out if you're interested. All right, let's get in these questions, comments, concerns, all that jazz. Last week, I got to let you guys know I was out of it. I was blabbling on, and I know I made a couple mistakes when I mentioned uh, Glickenhaus again. Like, Glickenhaus was involved with the first one, but not the second one. I don't fucking know what I was talking about. I was out of it. Tired. You know, sometimes I'm tired doing these. I'm a little out of it today, too. Fat Pig, the Conqueror. The oven scene in Absurd is so brutal. Indeed. Southport Rocker was pleasantly surprised by the grave as well. Had never heard of it prior to the Vincent release. Me either. Um, 
WTF, what the flick? I love Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. For a while, it was hard to get, but but when they re-released it, I picked that shit up. I love it. Movie Junkie Reviews. Butcher Baker sounds interesting. Still have yet to see it. You should. It's great. Chimo Zin. The Grave was a little cool movie. I like that one. Uh, I blindly bought the VSA release on it solely for the cast, and it did not disappoint. Anthony Michael Hall and Eric Roberts were hilarious. I wish Vinegar Syndrome would put more gems out like that. Um, they become much more spotty between cool... Uh, between cool, unearthed movies and stuff that is just too low grade. Good effort into every single release, though. Kentucky, Kentuckinator, 2920, LOL. Yeah, I just, that movie would put anybody to sleep. I was falling asleep last week. Three times I was like, ugh, dozing off. Nick Moore, my farewell message last week got lost in translation as my cell phone decided to correct my spelling. A-N-A-I, grand. Yeah. Uh, what I meant to say was, keep up the excellent work, Dave, though I doubt Mr. Parker would ever release crap content. You never know. Uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker is one of those films that you can't help falling in love with. I sure did when I first saw it first de- uh, first decades ago. Glad you enjoy it too. I do. Questions. Blu-ray media books seem to be a thing of the past. Do you like them? Media books? I don't know. I don't hate them. Some of them are really gnarly and cool, but you know, sometimes the weirder, the crazier the packaging, the harder it is to shelf. Do you foresee a point where AI will write all scripts? Maybe not all, but I do think that they will use it as a template, punch it in, and then fix it up. What's your favorite adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Mine is Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde. That's a good one. I'm also a fan of that. I also like Dr. Heckle, Mr. Hype, the goofy one. But maybe it's Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde. I really do have a fondness for that one. Till next week, young sir. Whether your videos are long or short, they're always top-notch. Thank you. Ilk Vomit, only 39 minutes. Yikes. Sorry. Fetish Magic, sexy, Mr. Parka. Um, the cast was, uh, okay, so Ken Coakley, Susan Tyrell freaked me out in Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. She was like Kathy Moriarty after a three-day meth bender. Bo Sevson went against type as the crooked cop after having played a real person in Walking Tall sequels, but he pulled it off. The cast was chock full of horror exploitation luminaries. The TV repairman was played by Casey Swam, who played Roy's co-worker in Friday the 13th Part 5. You're right. Uh, uh, Britt Leach, uh, who played Sergeant Cook, um... Uh, Brett Leach, who is in, who played Sergeant Cook in Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, that's the guy in uh, Great Outdoors, too. He, uh, yeah, he, he plays the store owner in that one in Silent Night and Deadly Night. He's also Jim Morrison's roommate in college. Susan Tyrell did some voiceover work. She narrated the Ralph Baskey film Wizards as well as narrate uh, Document of the Dead. Steve Easton, who played the coach, was in Nightmare on Elm Street 2 as well as The Hidden. One film both Stevenson did in Italy that I wish would get a Blu-ray release is Thunder Alley. Actually, I'd like to see the whole trilogy on Blu-ray. Me too. I've never seen that one, though. But Susan Tyrell's an excellent actor. She's so good in stuff like Andy Warhol's Bad and For zone just a lot a lot of stuff she's really good you know what let me think of a question here so what are some of your most re- what are your favorite recent uh genre horror pickups and stuff genre pickups on blu-ray if it's from the vinegar syndrome sales or what or are you looking forward to the severance sales let me know some of your favorite pickups in recent times within the last few weeks or so but i guess we're gonna get up to that update all right let's get into this update i know it's been a while first up on 4k i did the uh, screen factory 4k sale this is army of darkness Trapped in time, surrounded by evil, low on gas. I love this movie. Uh, I know this is unpopular opinion. This is my favorite of the three. Not saying this is the better. I'm just saying that I like it the best because probably I grew up with it and I saw it the most at a young age. Uh, But yeah, this only has the theatrical cut in 4K. The rest, yeah, it has the other three cuts on just Blu-ray. But it's weird because they have, no, they did not do the director's cut. But they have a 4K scan of the international cut, but only on Blu-ray, which is strange. I think they would just throw it on 4K as well. Anyways, the cost, I guess, to keep it down. Love Army of Darkness. Next up is John Carpenter's The Fog. Um, never going to turn down a chance to upgrade a John Carpenter movie, especially for the price. Really good movie from 1980. Jamie Lee Curtis, Tom Atkins, Buck Flower, Hal Holbrook, uh, Janet Lee. Just good stuff, man. Great ghost story. Great film from 1980. Great Carpenter stuff. 
Then we have Company of Wolves um, by, um, geez, who, who did this? Neil Jordan. I've never seen Company of Wolves. This is a huge blind spot for me. I know, on 4K. Super happy to finally check this one out. Can't wait to watch it from 84. Uh, yeah, this one is one that's been on my radar for years. Angela Lansbury, I, I'm looking forward to Stephen Ray. Then how can you go wrong with Brian De Palma, Stephen King, Carrie? Uh, Sissy Spacek. I love this movie. This is a great movie. Started high school horror as we know it. Uh, just amazing stuff here. Iconic. Love that the, it has the classic artwork too. I, I love that stuff. Anyways, Carrie is just an all-around great film. Uh, anybody who's not seen Carrie, I don't know what to tell you, to be honest. Then we have Candyman. Um, this has been years since I watched Candyman, probably since the late 90s. Really want to revisit, so I'm going to revisit in style. Um, I, I didn't even hate the kind of reboot. I know a lot of people did. It had its problems, but it had its charm to me as well. Um, but this one right here, you know, it's been forever. I can't wait to check it out finally. I mean, I love Tony Todd. He's great. He's great. Um, then we have Piranha here, uh, the original by Joe Dante, also a movie that I love and I haven't watched in years. A lot of fun, you know. Uh, it's a ripoff of Jaws, but damn, it's it's a blast. Got Paul Bartel, Bradford Dillman. Who else is there? There's a lot of people in this. Uh, Kevin McCarthy's in there, yeah. Keenan Wynn, Barbara Steele, man, Dick Miller. I don't remember half these people being in this fucking movie. I definitely can't wait. And Pino DiNaggio. I can't wait to rewatch this one. And then next up we have... The Eureka, Hopping Mad, the vampire, the Mr. Vampire sequel. Super excited to finally grab this. I've seen the first one. I really like it from 85. This one has Mr. Vampire 2, Mr. Vampire 3, Mr. Vampire Saga 4, and Vampire vs. Vampire. Good price, too. Uh, can't wait to watch these when I get to mid or late 80s movies. But these are a lot of fun, the Hopping Vampires, the crazy spells. But anyways, that is the update. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time. All right, thank you guys very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Hey.